Welcome to the Wild Grand Rapids message of the week. We hope you're encouraged, strengthened, and experience the presence of God through this message by Pastor Matthew Fuller. Good morning, everybody. What's up? It's up to you. Yeah, I like this. How's everybody doing today? You can, you can be seated. Wow. I'm going to get a suntan up here while I'm preaching this morning. That's exciting. It's a two for one. I'm going to get a little farmer's tan going on here. I'm from Iowa, so it's fitting. All right, I'm extremely excited to preach this message. It's been a little while since I've preached. I've been uh, head deep, neck deep, whatever the phrase is, in building project stuff, and uh, things are kind of leveling out a little bit with that, so I've been excited to be able to to share the message with, with you all this morning. I want to ask you this uh, to start off. What would it actually look like in life to live with inner peace in an intimate relationship with Jesus? Not like every once in a while, but every single day. Actually take a moment and picture that. What would life look like if I was living in intimate relationship with Jesus? Just as uh, the worship team said uh, so well this morning, regardless of the circumstances that are going on in life, regardless of the situations, if things are bad or if they're good. You know, I think sometimes when life's going great, we can equally get as far away from him. And we're like, wow, things are working out. Thanks, Lord, I'll take it from here. But it's in every single season, in every single circumstance and situation, we have the opportunity to live the same intimate relationship with Jesus. We're kicking off our vertical series this morning, and we're going to be talking a lot about intimacy. Um, but I was thinking, I, was, I, I woke up, I think it was last Saturday morning. I love to sleep in on Saturdays, and for whatever reason, I never do. Last Saturday, I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I laid in bed, and I was like, all right. I'm going to go back to sleep. And I laid there and I laid there and I said, apparently I'm not. So 5.30, I got up and I, I went down on my couch and started reading. And I started daydreaming about what my life is going to look like when I'm walking with the Lord for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years, for 50 years. And thinking of the fact that the well just keeps on getting deeper and deeper. And then thinking about those in my life that I admire that have been walking with the Lord. And I, I feel like what I, what I was thinking about at that time is oftentimes we think of our relationship with God as an achievement, right? We're saved and we have then achieved relationship with him. But how many of you know that when you're married, you know, we, we, can, we can get this idea, this lie in our mind that once we get married, then our relationship will work out. As if relationship is supposed to be something that is achieved instead of an art that is supposed to be practiced, There's no shortcut to digging a deep well. You have to dig it one layer at a time. And in the same way, our relationship with God is something, is an art that we're supposed to continue to cultivate throughout our life. Uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci said that art is never completed, it's only abandoned. And if you think about that in the same capacity of relationship, that my, my relationship with people as an art is never something that is meant to be completed. If it feels like it's achieved, then that means it's probably been abandoned. I'm sure we've known people in our lives that maybe, you know, kind of coexist in the same house. They've, they've reached a level in their marriage where they're comfortable with each other. And then at that point forward, they just kind of coexist and they live their own lives. They, they do what, what they want to do. And, and the intimacy is never deeply established. And, 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 I, and I feel like that in some ways we can find ourselves in that same capacity in our relationship with the Lord. 
Like, we feel good with where we're at. We've gotten over the sin in our life. You know, when, when something else comes up, maybe we repent real quick, but we're comfortable with coexisting with God in our lives. We're not saying that we're not married with them any longer. We're not saying that we're not Christians anymore. We still have the title. We still have the, the, the thing over our head that says, I'm a Christian, but we show up to church on Sunday. We live our lives. We coexist. We, we check in as needed. Maybe it's a, a duty, maybe it's a routine for us, maybe we have dinner, so to speak, we have a, our, our regular devotional that we do, but it never goes beyond anything more than that. The art has been abandoned. The art of relationship has been, has been, uh, has been abandoned because we thought we're good with this level of intimacy. But how many know there's something deeper that the Lord has to desire for us? It's about an intimate relationship with him. Christianity is relationship with God. Christianity is not the things that we do for God. It is relationship with God. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation, bringing sons and daughters back to their father, meaning that in the same way that we're to minister that to others is what the goal was for us. It is that we were reconciled once again to the father, that out of relationship with him, everything else flows. So intimacy isn't like something that would be good to get into. A good spiritual practice, it is what Christianity is. You know, I, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. I was thinking about Mary and Martha. I'm going to read this, this scripture, and, and we're going to get into this a little bit more. And I'm just going to share with you, honestly, the journey that I've been on. You know, my, my wife and I have been on, on quite the roller coaster over the last two years, but it just really heightened over the last couple months, the last few months. As, as many of you know, that she got in a car accident, and... Uh, you know, had a, had a concussion as a result. And because of that, we don't really know what the days bring. You know, this week we had a few good days, a couple bad days. But our relationship with God is growing deeper and stronger. And so through this process, you know, we've, we've, at the beginning of it, and things were just hectic and crazy, I thought, you know what? I cannot control the circumstances that come our way, but I can control my response to them. And we're going to do this one differently. We're going to dig deeper into relationship with God so that the pain of our suffering can't actually produce joy in our relationship with Jesus. So, uh, guys, there, Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And, and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And I was thinking about this scripture, and, and oftentimes I think we, we look at this and we go, see, serving, we, we, we can't serve, we're not supposed to serve, although that would contradict all of what scripture tells us to do. We are servants. We're to be servants of God and servants of people here upon this earth. So I started thinking about it, and I started praying, Lord, what is it about this scripture? What is it that she is worried about? What is it that she is troubled with? And then I started thinking about the culture of the time. And see, women at this time were actually not permitted to sit at the feet of a rabbi. See, culture said that, that a woman did not belong at the feet of a rabbi to learn from him, but a woman, when a guest would come into their home, belonged in the kitchen, belonged in an entirely different place. And so 
So as, as Martha's going and she's serving and we see that she's distracted by her serving, she's distracted by her worry, it actually comes out that her motivation for service was actually due more to the concern of the cultural norm at that time. Mary did not belong there. She belonged in the kitchen. Her heart motivation to serve was dictated by the ways of the world's systems of the time. So she's actually distracted that somebody was not following the systems and the culture of the time. And Jesus is saying, no, it's okay that she is down here because she is saying yes to Jesus. Now here's the interesting part. She's not only saying yes to Jesus, but Mary is saying no to the systems of this world. So it actually takes us another step deeper if we're thinking about this. Like, okay, Mary, Mary, yes, she, she's choosing the better way. She's choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus. But in order to do that, she needed to get outside of the systems of this world to say no, to reject the pressure from what service is supposed to look like, to reject the pressure that was being placed on her by her sister and by the culture of that time and say, I have opportunity with Jesus. I need to take it now. You see, I actually wonder if Martha at that time was serving, if she was actually doing it out of a hard attitude to serve Jesus, I have a feeling it wouldn't say that she was distracted with serving. Maybe she was joyful in the kitchen as Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, I don't think that Martha was supposed to abandon it. It would be very normal for somebody to come into my home and to make them dinner. That wouldn't be an unnormal thing to prepare a meal for a guest. That would be extremely normal. But it was the fact that Martha fell into the pressure of the systems of that time. Can I get, can I get a water, please? So a few months ago, maybe four months ago or so, thank you very much. Did you put water in it, or is it just a pretty cup? Okay. I'm just kidding. It was like a half a sip, but it's fine. All I need is Jesus, not water. So a couple months ago, maybe three, four, I don't know the timeline, five, six, year and a half, whatever. Four months ago, let's say. We're going to stand on four months ago. I was experiencing that, that, that inner turmoil, right? Anybody ever live, or live with just that like simmering anxiety? Not the crippling, I'm talking like you say the wrong thing and I'm just gonna snap kind of stuff. You know, it's like right below the surface, right there. What are you looking at? Why are you looking at me like that? Do you have an issue with me? Because I will create an issue right now if we need to. Like that kind of anxiety that's just right there. So I'm living in that and I'm soaking in it. You know, I'm anxious as I'll get out and I'm uh, suggested, told, uh, forced by my family to take a day off. And they said, hey, you need to go to Holland and take a day to yourself. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go to Holland and I'll take a day to myself. Don't you tell me what to do, but I will do it. And so I go to Holland and I'm, I'm driving there and I think, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to get real wild. I'm going to turn this phone off and you know what, I'm going to stop at Barnes & Noble on the way and I'm going to grab some books and I'm going to read while I'm there. And so I text everybody, and, and, I, and I felt this pressure, though. I text them, like, hey, guys, I'm going to turn off my phone. And I wanted to text, is that okay with you? Right? Like, we live in this pressure that we're supposed to live up to an expectation of other people instead of actually taking care of ourselves and doing what Jesus is calling us to do. And so, and so I text this thing out, and I'm like, oh, man. And so I, I, I turn my phone off. And it was actually when I, right when I got into Holland that I realized that I didn't bring anything with me. I didn't bring a book to read. I didn't bring my iPad or anything. And so I stopped at Barnes & Noble. And I'm walking through the bookstore. 
And I have no idea what to get. I, I couldn't remember what the name of this one book was that I had heard about at this Global Leadership Summit a few years ago I wanted to read called A Minute to Think. I found the book, actually. And it's all about slowing down and breaking off of, uh, chunks of your day to just think, to look at what she calls white space and just l allow your brain to just create. And so I'm going and I'm walking through and I see this interesting looking red book I remember on the bottom shelf. And this guy's name is John Mark Comer is the author of this book. And it really stood out to me. I'd never heard of the guy before. Stood out to me and I thought, oh, that's cool. Really cool looking book. Bought a couple more, my utmost for his highest and something else. I don't remember what the other book was. Oh, about hearing God's voice by Nathan Finocchio. And so I go and I start spending the day. And as I'm walking, I'm just feeling all the anxiety just leave my body as I'm walking on the pier, experiencing nature, experiencing everything that the Lord has for me. And, and I heard the Lord say this to me. He's, I, I'm thinking, man, I could do this. If I could just do this more often, my life would, wouldn't be filled with so much anxiety and, and stress and distraction and everything. And I heard the Lord say clearly to, him, to me, he said, Matthew, you need to quit accommodating the changing world and start changing the accommodating world. And I had to think about that for a minute. I'm like, what are you, what are you saying? And he's like, and I, immediately I thought of this app that I had. I had all of these different avenues coming in. I got text messages, I got emails, I got Slack messages that I'm using for both church and for uh, Mudpenny. I got all of this different stuff coming my way. This web browser and this app contains everything so that I can multitask through it in a very quick manner. I can go Slack, message, email, email, email. I, I have five email boxes that I check. Boom, 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 boom. And I can have my tabs open. And so I think about that all of a sudden. I think, why am I living under the expectation that I actually have to live a productive life in the way that society says productivity is? I am accommodating the fact that society is speeding up. And instead of me actually slowing it down and saying, this is not right, I'm accommodating this changing world instead of changing this world that is accommodating to the culture of its, of its time. William uh, Brueggemann in the book Sabbath as Resistance says multitasking is the drive to be more than, than we are, to control more than what we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. See, many of us are living such a distracted life that we actually do not realize what is going on inside of us. We actually never slow down to give ourselves the permission to feel and to process anything that's going on in our lives. I want to read another quote from T.S. Eliot. He says, We are distracted from distraction by distraction. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. See, I believe that the biggest thing that hinders us from intimacy is not just sin in our lives, is not just our own inadequacies, maybe, maybe religion that we're believing that we have to feel like we're achieving something before we can enter into God's presence, but I actually believe that, it's, that it is us yoking ourselves up with the systems of this world living a distracted life. You know, there are entire empires right now that are being built upon your distraction. There are billionaires being made every day that are built upon you being distracted. Each and every one of us, as Americans, we receive between 4,000 and 10,000 marketing messages. How often? Every day. 
Every single day, we are hearing messages from this world that is saying, you need this, you want that, you have to have this, your life would be better if you had that. And we're living our lives, distracting ourselves into oblivion, skimming across the surface of life and actually never getting deeper down to the root of what's truly going on. We get sucked into, society is telling us what our needs are. What starts out as admiration, we see something that is very cool. That is so neat. And then it turns into, oh, it would be nice to have that. And then it brings us down to the next layer of, I really want that. And then the next layer goes in, I will not be a good person until I have that. If I have, then life will be. And what's actually taking place throughout our Western civilization, throughout our culture, is we are speeding up so quick and not actually putting boundaries in our lives to live an intimate relationship with God because we are living a reactive life instead of an intentional life. We're reacting to what society says we have to live within. We see this with Martha. Martha thought that Mary was supposed to live a certain way, but Mary is rejecting. Her no is so large. Can you imagine as a woman of that time? Can you imagine saying, I will not go in that kitchen? I will sit at the feet of Jesus, even though everything around me says I'm supposed to be out there because that's what the right way to live is, according to the culture, according to the systems of this world, I will sit at his feet and I will hear his voice over my life. What if we actually got so intentional, there are trillions of dollars every single day that are being released to distract you, that are being released to steal your time. Think about social media, for example. So I I own a business and in, in that business, we create a product. That product, we then turn and we sell. The person that buys that product becomes the customer of my business. How many of you have ever paid for social media? So who is the customer of social media? An advertiser, which makes us the product. Your time is the product that is being sold, that is being built on, that is being produced to being sold to advertisers. Now, I'm not saying that social media is is bad in and of itself, but we must have an actual resistance to the way of this world system if we're going to live countercultural in the world that we live in. If there are billion dollars being released to steal your time, then we need to be intentional to create a lifestyle that will actually be a conduit that keeps me in tune with his voice. We need to actually be in resistance to the way of the world system that if we're saying yes to Jesus, we need to have very specific no's. My no is I will not be in that kitchen. I praise the Lord that my wife has had that no. I would be the skinniest man in all of history. (laughs) She's an okay, she's a great baker. I do the cooking. We'll just leave it at that. But honestly, if we're willing, if we are going to live an intimate relationship with Jesus, we can't live it out of just good intentions. It needs to become specific. We need to actually have boundaries that we've put up in our lives that are are actually stewarding a relationship with God outside of the ways and the expectations that we believe we are supposed to live in. Richard Foster in his book, Freedom of Simplicity, says perhaps we need to learn to speak of disciplined grace. Isn't that the profound reality which underlies the symbiotic alliance between faith and works? Our salvation is by faith alone, but without works, faith is dead. 
The gospel reality comes to us by pure grace, but it bears the mark of spiritual discipline. Later on in the book, he says, we must take up, consciously chose, take up a consciously chosen course of action that will draw us more deeply into perpetual communion with the Father. You see, I believe that there are so many things that are trying to steal our time that are, that are causing us to be pulled in so many directions that we're never actually able to process life with the Lord. We're bringing to him the next thing that we're reacting to instead of actually digging the well deep in relationship, in an intimate relationship with him. So my family, we've, we've taken up some, uh, some different practices that I'm gonna share with you, and I'm not telling you that you should do these practices, but what I am showing you is that there is a different way than to live life at a surface level, anxious all the time, responding to the chaos that comes our way. There is a deeper, more intimate way for us to live with Jesus. See, the goal is, is to get out everything outside that hinders us from hearing his voice. Because the only thing that will be fruitful in this life, the only thing that will actually matter in what we do is if we live the life like Jesus lived when he said, I only do what the Father does. I only do what I'm hearing him say. So we've taken up a, an extreme no in our life, and that's that we practice Sabbath every week. So I mentioned earlier in this, in this uh, service that I saw this red book while I was at, and I'm gonna challenge encourage everybody to read this book. I saw this red book, this guy named John Mark Comer, and I left the book on the shelf, and I went to work the next day after I got back, and one of my employees who's a Christian came up to me, and she goes, hey, you know, I just really feel like the Lord is saying to me to, to encourage you to read this book, and it's by John Mark Comer. And I thought, okay, Lord, you're actually doing something here, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's about slowing down and resisting. A lot of what I'm preaching about today is, is inspiration out of what he's written in his books and, and these other books that I'm referencing as well. But in it, he explains the practice of Sabbath. And so what we have decided to do as a family is that we are actually resisting the pressure to keep the world spinning. And we're taking a day every single week. It feels like Christmas for us. We're taking a day every single week to shut it all down and to say no. And anything that we do has to go through the filter of, is this rest and is this worship? You see, Sabbath, at the beginning of, of uh, creation, we know that on the seventh day the Lord rested, that he blessed that day and he called it holy. And then on Mount Sinai, uh, Moses is given the Ten Commandments. And, and I'm going to read here in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. At Mount Sinai, uh, he says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor shall your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So he's talking at the first time that the Ten Commandments are released, He's referencing the normal rhythm of creation. This is the way as created people that the Lord has established. It's, it's a normal way to live life. Uh, Jefferson Bethke, um, who wrote this book called To Hell with the Hustle, he likens Sabbath like this. He says, you know, when you go to a wedding and there's music playing, you can dance however you want. You don't have to follow the beat, but there's something that just works better when you follow the beat of the music. 
So the first reference of Sabbath was a regular rhythm of how creation was, was um, intended. And then 40 years later, Moses is standing at the Jordan, and on the other side is Canaan, and he's speaking now. They've been wandering around. They took a little 40-year detour, and he decides that it's time to recount the Ten Commandments and to, to declare them again because there's, there's been a new generation that has been born. And he, once he gets to the Sabbath, he makes a, a, a change in this. And he says this, and remember, so he says to observe the Sabbath, to count it as a holy day, and then instead of saying remember creation, this is what he says, he switches it. He says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, the first time that Sabbath is referenced in Scripture, it's in reference to the intended rhythm of creation. The second time that it's referenced, where they're saying, we got to remember to do this, he's saying, remember, because you were a slave to this world system. So Sabbath for us is not just a day to rest. It's actually to resist the systems of this world. It's that big Christian cuss word, No. We believe that every need that comes our way is a need that we have to meet. And we're saying yes to every need that we end up saying yes to absolutely nothing. And instead of actually having intention on everything that we're doing one thing at a time, we're trying to multitask and do a bunch of things really poorly. We are not actually created to do more than one thing at a time. Our brain does not function that way. So we need to actually set up a structure in our life a chosen way, a, a, something that is deeply thought out and, and, and done with the Lord and says, Lord, what are the no's that, are, that have to support the yes that I have for you? What are the things in my life? What is the, the Sabbath, so to speak? And I would encourage you, whether it's an entire day, what, what we do as a family, and this has transformed our family. I mean, I will get teary-eyed talking about it. This is where it all started for us. Was we first decided to Sabbath every week. My mom was actually praying for us. She could experience, she, she came on the receiving end of the simmering anxiety. <laughs> and she's like, Lord, you need to get them not anxious anymore. And so she's praying, and this is how, what led us to this book. And so I read the, read the book and did all the stuff, and I said, let's just try this thing. And man, it was anxious, but it was art. It was a practice. Sabbath is a practice for us. And so as a family, 5.30 on Friday nights, we light a candle, and we pass it around Actually, let me back up. Earlier in the day, on Friday, my daughter, uh, my, my second daughter, Macy, she had, we have been going through a big decluttering in our house. We're tired of the mess. So we've been throwing stuff out, selling it like crazy, getting rid of everything. And she threw something out a little while ago that she realized she really deeply cared about. And so she's having a total meltdown. Like, but it was like beyond just the stuff being you know, cool. It like had a part of who she was. She was grieving this stuffy that she no longer had. So I'm talking to her about it. And I said, you know, you know, these things are not what we are made out of, right? They, they do not control us. They can be nice to have, but you're going to be okay. And I need this toy. I need this toy. And I said, well, let's look at what some of the kids around the world actually have as toys. And I remembered this photographer that traveled around the world and took pictures of children and their toys. And there was this little boy that was standing outside of a hut that was made up of, of metal. And he's got this, it was a cup on a string that he was obviously using and acting like it was a little puppy. And it was a puppy that she lost, that she decided to throw out, that was really deeply impacting her. And I said, 
let's look through these kids, and why don't you go up into your bedroom with these pictures and look around your room as you look at that kid in the hut. And then you can come back down and you tell me how you're feeling about your stuffed animal. You see, she's been insulated in this 1% mentality that the, the sum of my material possessions is what actually creates my peace in life and who I am as a person. And so she comes back down and she says, man, I feel bad for that little guy. And I said, but do you see the smile on his face? He doesn't look like he's feeling bad about anything right now. You see, because he found joy outside of what he owns, and what he owns is not who he is. And so she goes, and, and she had this little transformation. So we go, and we, we do our Sabbath night, and we pass the candle around, and we say what we're, what we're thankful for. And my oldest daughter is super excited to do this. She's rattling off all this stuff that she's thankful for. My whole family gets around us. They look forward to it like it's Christmas morning when we hit Sabbath. We know everything turns off and they get full attention with mom and dad. There's nothing else that matters. Dad cooks awesome food every Saturday. I smoke meat. Last week was braised lamb and saffron rice. I mean, it was a six-hour meal that it took. And it's just, we feast. We eat sugar. We don't stop. Like, we do not stop. And they know that when it comes time to Sabbath, it's go time. It's go time and to worship and to rest, no distractions. And so we go around and it gets to my daughter, Macy, and, and she says, Jesus, I'm thankful that I have everything that I need in this life. You see, when we slow down and we cut out the clutter, we actually realize that our needs have very little to do with what our wants are. But we're living so distracted and in such a pace that doesn't actually allow us to get to this point to process what truly matters in this life. So I made, I, another thing that I, that I started doing is I got a really dumb phone. I know that I have a text. It will take me about 10 minutes to read that text. It takes a, it's really dumb. When I get home with, with family, I'm with my family. My SIM card for my iPhone goes into this phone and I'm with my family at night and on the weekends. I've said no to the fact that when I'm with you, whatever text message comes my way is more important than who you are, than my presence with you. You see, we're starting to cut back on things that are actually distracting us from being able to live an intimate life and actually follow the commands of Jesus to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the only way we can love our neighbor, he even says, is to actually love ourselves. We need to love them in the way that we are willing to love ourselves. I took email off my phone, so no longer I'm going to the bathroom responding to my emails. I actually respond to my emails when it's time to respond to my emails. When my mental state is in a place that says, okay, Matthew, now it's time to respond to your emails. I'm choosing to live life. I'm not responding to life any longer. I took all text notifications, even on my iPhone. I don't get the notifications anymore. So if I don't respond, I'm sorry, but I'm saying no to the systems of this world that say because text was created, me, I have to respond in two minutes. I'm no longer going to accommodate a changing world. We're going to change the accommodating world because I want my presence with you to actually be with you and not communicate to you whoever texted me is more important than you. I don't want to mindlessly scroll and find out that I spent four hours a day on my phone, an hour on social media, not even realizing it, and have this anxiety and not know why. Do you know that since uh, the advent of social media, the suicide rate for 12 to 16-year-old girls has skyrocketed by like three, 400 percent because of the comparison that takes place out of the snapshots of people's lives? 
You see, when we actually think about our lives, think about what's truly important, when we're actually saying yes to Jesus, that means there need to be some no's that are being said. So that we actually have a path to live this life on, an avenue, as Richard Foster says, a, a chosen course of action to live a more deeply intimate life with Jesus. William Penn says, frugality is good if liberality be joined with it. The first is leaving off superfluous expenses. He's talking in reference to finances. The first is leaving off superfluous expenses, the last bestowing them to the benefit of others that need. You know, this is the hard attitude that I believe that Jesus is calling us into. Is that all of the extra in life, it's one thing to get rid of it, but it's another thing to get rid of it so that I can love you more. There has to actually be an end to the goal so that we're not just tearing ourselves down or limiting ourselves for the sake of limiting ourselves because that becomes nothing more than another form of religion. But we're actually intentionally choosing a course of action in our life so that we can have a more intimate, deeper relationship with one another. We no longer scroll in bed with each other. I looked over one night and saw the glow of our phones on our face and I thought, this is not right. I'm missing out on the art of relationship. I've abandoned it for what is in front of me, for the next thing that can hit my dopamine. I believe many of us do this, and we don't even realize it. We're being distracted by our distractions from our distractions. And it's stealing our intimate relationship with God, but we need to be intentional. If we're actually gonna live in this intimate life, we need to be intentional. Another thing that we've started doing is I wake up two hours earlier than I used to. I spend an hour every morning. I go downstairs. I wake up. I, I see my kids off to school. I make a pot of coffee for myself and for Rachel so that when she gets home from the bus, she has coffee waiting. Fireplace is on. The house is silent. I walk into the basement. I turn the fireplace on down there. And I sit down, and in the darkness, with just a little bit of light peeking through, I'm silent. I'm getting really weird. I drive in silence now. I don't listen to stuff that's distracting me from my drive, but I actually am trying to position myself in a place to hear God speak if he's wanting to. So then I'm silent every morning for 10 or 15 minutes. Maybe I'll read a psalm if, if my heart is misaligned, if I'm anxious, or if, you know, maybe I'm a little groggy. But I align myself up and I just sit and wait for his whisper. And then I journal and I process through what it was that happened the day before. And then I read a psalm again, and I read a proverb, and then I go to wherever, I, either in prayer or wherever else that he has for me to read in his word that he wants to speak to me. I'm slowing down and resisting the systems of this world through rest. See, I think each and every one of us has the power to resist and to turn this world upside down if we would learn to say no and actually rest in his presence and in what it is that he is saying, because then we're gonna position ourselves in a place to hear him speak. The fruit of our labor is gonna be great when it's in response to his voice instead of in response to the systems of this world. What if Martha would have just said no? What if she had a destiny that was about to get spoken over her? But she got stuck in the grind of life, never getting below the surface of what her, the expectations of culture had over her. I think we're all made to violently resist this world in our active pursuit of Jesus, which sounds like a big no to the pressure to keep this world spinning. 
to the pressure to keep this world running. They think the self-reliance that we have, thinking that if we say no, that it's all gonna fall apart. He's way bigger than that. We might be made in the image of God, but we are created out of dust, and we need to learn to come into really good communion with our limitations and be okay with them. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this intimate life that you have called us to walk in, Lord. This life of rest, this life of abandonment to you, Lord, where we are truly saying no to the things that don't matter in order to support our yes to you. Lord, teach us in each and every one of our hearts, God, if there's something, Lord, in our lives that, that is keeping us distracted, that is keeping us numbed out from feeling the pain maybe that we're experiencing and never truly finding healing, where we're distracted from, the, the, from your voice, from the situations that didn't go our way and we just can't bear the pain of processing through. Lord, give us the bravery and the boldness to sit at your feet, to get outside of the norms of this culture, to get outside of the systems of this world, to resist in a way that looks like sitting at your feet. To resist in such a violent act, Lord, countercultural to everything that is coming our way, resting in your presence. Father, give us specific ways in order to facilitate this. Lord, let it not be just that we leave here this morning with good intentions, like, I think I'm gonna do better now. But Lord, what are the specific things that you are asking us to lay down in order that we can pick up your voice, your presence? our rest in you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were impacted by this message. For more information about The Well Grand Rapids, please visit our website at www.thewellgr.com.